Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 5, and we'll look at verses 5 and 6. Perhaps you were familiar with these verses before we began this study, and of course we've, um, if, you, if you've been a part of this study now for several weeks, if you weren't familiar with these verses, you are by now. Amen. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. So, we've covered a lot of ground, and rarely do I do this, but I would encourage you, whether you were here last Sunday or not, to listen to that sermon. Um, it, it really, uh, I listened to it this week, and it really captured at least the first part of, of this study. Uh, sometimes you, uh, you teach and you teach and you teach until you can teach, you know what I'm saying? You have to get some things put out there first and, and get some things introduced and get some concepts and some principles and some Bible verses put in place. And then it's like, and you'll see this in your own study, you know, you'll study and study and study, and then it's like all of a sudden it just whoosh, it just all kind of comes together. And so a lot of things came together uh, in the sermon last Sunday morning. Uh, but also it, it, it's positioning us for where, where we're headed. And so I would encourage you to do that, hccnow.org, Vimeo, uh, uh, the church website is hccnow.org. You can find it there. You can find it on my Facebook page. There's a lot of different, it's free. We're not trying to sell you anything, we're trying to give you something. Amen. But I want to take a minute, and I'm going to do this real quick, like, I, I want to review some of the key points that we've covered up, up, up until now, and then we'll look at some new stuff. So um, by way of review, these are some of the things we've said already. We said learning about trusting God is not the same as learning to trust Him. Learning about trusting Him and actually learning to trust Him is not the same thing. There's only one way to learn to trust God, and there's only one reason why we don't trust Him. You learn to trust God by trusting Him. There's no other way. You ever wondered if you could trust somebody? Did you ever find out whether or not you could? <laughs> The only way you can find out if you can trust them or not is to actually trust them. There's no, there's no other way. It's like, man, I got this really important project and I need some help with it and I need to delegate some of this to somebody. I wonder if I can trust so-and-so um, with, with this part of the project. Well, until you do, you will only wonder. Amen. There's, the only way to learn to trust God is trust Him. Now, we said there's one way to learn to trust and there's only one reason why we don't. We do not trust God because we're afraid of what might happen if we do. Plain and simple. We're afraid of what might happen if we do. So fear. God can only take you as far as your trust in Him will allow. He's the good shepherd, not the good cowboy. He doesn't drive you like a, like a cattle. He leads you like sheep. But if you don't trust Him and if you won't follow Him, He can only take you as far as your trust in Him will allow. God is trying to lead you to the promised land of your best life, and it takes trust on your part to follow Him there. Leaning to one's own understanding is the default setting for trust. We talked about this last week and how we've got to change that default setting. Think of your own understanding as what makes sense, seems right, and feels safe to you. So it's real easy, you know, it sounds so religious, lean not to your own understanding. Well, what does it actually look like on a moment-by-moment basis, day-by-day basis in our lives? It, it, it's leaning to, supporting yourself, living by what makes sense, what seems right, and what feels safe to you. 
If you never learn to trust God, your life will always be limited to what makes sense, seems right, and feels safe to you. Trusting God is the price of living your life on earth according to the higher ways of heaven. You, you can live according to the, to the ways that they're living in heaven this morning. But if you're going to do that while you're still on the earth, it's going to cost you trust. Trusting, is the only, trusting God is the only way forward when it doesn't make sense and doesn't feel safe. Now, just a couple more. The path to your best life is a path of loving and forgiving. It's a path of tithing and generous giving. It's a path of humility and submission. And it is a path of honesty, integrity, and truthfulness. You will never find or follow this path if your trust continues to default to what makes sense, seems right, and feels safe to you. So here's the conclusion this morning. The choice is clear and the choice is yours. Trust in the Lord with all your heart or trust in yourself with all your brain. Trust in the Lord with all your heart or trust in yourself with all your brain. Which means we can choose to live according to the time-tested, eternally living and powerful Word of God or we can choose to live according to what makes sense to us in the moment. What makes sense to us in the moment. See, when you bring these two alongside one another, it, it, the choice to me is clear, but it's still your choice. Are we going to do it God's way? By the way, he's never been wrong. He's never even been confused. Are we going to do it our way, what seems right to us in the moment, thinking about how many times we've been wrong and have been confused. But the choice is clear and the choice is ours. Now, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 12. Praise God, I'm excited about what we're about to learn together. Amen, I hope that you are. Brother Hagin said, if you want the Word of God to work in your life, you've got to get excited about it. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, Paul says this, For this reason I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Now, the Apostle Paul, if you know his testimony, he endured a great deal of hardship for the cause of the gospel and for the building of the kingdom. In another place, he says, in referring to those things, he says, none of those things move me. Neither do I count my life dear unto myself, but instead I count all these things that I've given up um, as rubbish, as garbage, as dung, that I might receive the excellency of the knowledge of, of Christ Jesus himself. And so some would look at what Paul endured and went through and perhaps ask, well, where is God in all of that? When Paul would mention these things, he was always very careful. Like when he talked about the light affliction. He talked about the light affliction. He said it, it's not even worthy to be mentioned in the same sentence as the glory of God that's being revealed in us. So anytime he spoke of the hardship that he endured, he was very careful to um, remind everybody that not only is he okay, that he's not confused by this, he's not discouraged by this, he's, he's not like asking where God is and why is all this happening to me. In other words, it's not a pity party. He's just talking about you know, the sacrifice and, and, 
and, and what he's willing to, uh, to do and go through so that somebody else can know about the goodness of God and receive this wonderful gift of salvation and baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, we used this verse and, and looked at this verse uh, some years ago, and I'm not wanting to try to go back to all of that, but the Lord spoke a very simple word to us. He said that his people are wanting him to do things in their lives that we have not given him place to do. And if you see what he's saying here in this verse, we, we want God to keep things for us, protect and preserve and prosper things for us that we have not committed to him. Now, committed, this word committed is speaking of a deposit of trust. A deposit of trust. In other words, you can't commit something to God without trusting him with it. This is what it means to commit something to him. If you commit it to him, this means that that you are no longer trusting in your own ability or trusting in natural physical things for the, the safety, the preservation, and the prosperity of that thing, the growth and development and increase of that thing. Um, but you're trusting in God for that. Now, there's some key words here that we see, and I want to just focus in on some of those. Paul said, for I know. That's a very important word right there. For I know whom I have believed. Have believed is past tense. I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded. And am persuaded. He's talking about different levels and degrees of knowing a thing. In other words, you can understand something but not believe it. Are you following me? There's a lot of folks that they have a, a, you know, a great understanding of this teaching from the Bible, that teaching from the Bible, but they don't necessarily believe it to the point that they actually put it into practice in their lives. So Paul is saying, I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to keep this deposit of trust, this, that which I have trusted him with, what I've committed uh, to God in, in, in way of a deposit of trust. Now, let me, maybe I should have done this the other way around. Let, let me give you the point here, okay? The fruit of trusting God is an inward knowing. Bold confidence comes from proven trust, okay? The fruit of trusting God is an inward knowing. When we say the fruit of something, we're talking about what's produced, what, what it'll produce in your life. Learning to trust God will produce a fruit in your life of an inward knowing. Bold confidence comes from proven trust. What is proven trust? Proven trust is when you trust and it works out. You develop confidence then. Remember, let's go back to what we said a moment ago. Have you ever wondered if you could trust somebody? Well, the only way you'll ever know is by trusting them. And then as you trust them and they take the ball, so to speak, and run with it and do a great job, then you can trust them with more. And, they, and, and now what's happening? You become confident in this other person's ability. So the fruit of trusting God, it works the same way. It's an inward knowing. Bold confidence comes 
from proven trust. The stronger our trust in God, the greater our boldness. Okay? But now let's look at the other side of that coin. Weak trust in God will always lead to weak prayers, reluctant giving, timid confessions, and fearful living. Weak trust in God. Little to no trust in God. You can't pray strong, powerful prayers if you have weak trust in God. You'll never give confidently if you don't trust God with your money. It'll always be reluctant giving, if any giving at all. It'll be weak prayers, reluctant giving, timid confessions, and fearful living. The devil eats timid confessions for lunch, by the way. He, that, that, a timid confession does, does not uh, move the devil in any way whatsoever. So when Paul says, I know whom I have believed him, this word know, and I'll, I'll put it up on the screen, it's the Greek word E-I-D-O, and it means to see with perception. Some places in the Bible this word is translated know, other places it's translated see. Which one is it? It's both. It literally means to know as if I see. To know as if I see. So if you go back to this verse, 2 Timothy 1 and and 2, Paul says, For I know as if I see whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have deposited into his trust. Now here is a parallel verse that goes along with that. Let me find it right quick. It's here somewhere in my notes. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 27. Notice this about Moses. It says that he forsook Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. See, this is the confidence that comes from trusting God. Praise God. Let me me go back to the point now. Amen. Are you still with me? The fruit of trusting God is an inward knowing. Bold confidence comes from proven trust. So when the Apostle Paul was talking about the things that he endured, he wasn't, again, feeling sorry for himself or questioning God or wondering why God had let him down. He says, none of of these things move me, for I know as if I see him in whom I have believed. All right, here we go. Placing your trust in God will lead you through experiences that will open doors of knowing and seeing in your heart. Doors that cannot be opened any other way. That's important right there. That's important right there. Okay, so I'm, I'm gonna, I want to rush through this, but let's just... Pause here for a moment. Paul said he knew as if he was seeing Abraham is another example of this. When he carried Isaac up to the top of that hill to sacrifice him, the Bible says that he had already received Isaac raised from the dead in a figure. Meaning what? Meaning he had already seen the outcome before the whole mission ever began. Anybody remember the days of 
VHS, VCR tapes. And if you wanted to get to a point in that tape, you would have to fast forward through everything else to get there. That's analog. With digital, you don't have to fast forward through everything to get there. You can go from one point and jump straight to another point. Our God declares the end of any endeavor from before it begins. Are you seeing this? So, how hard would it be for you, think with me now, to obey God if you already saw the outcome before you took whatever step of faith it it is that he's leading you to take? Now, we, we left make sense seems right and feel safe. We left that in the rearview mirror a long time ago. Because again, notice these two things, they don't, they don't go together here. Think of all the things that Abraham did that didn't make sense, didn't seem right, and didn't feel safe. But when we don't see what he saw, and when we don't know what he knows, we sit back and, and, and we're wondering, how in the world could he have done that? How in the world could the Apostle Paul have done what he did? How in the world could Moses have ever pulled off everything that he pulled off? And we're trying to, to figure that out without seeing and knowing what these men saw and knew. Placing your trust in God will lead you through experiences that will open doors of knowing and seeing in your heart. Doors that cannot be opened any other way. Father wants you to know things, but you'll never know it till you trust Him. He wants you to see things, but you'll never see it until you trust Him. But when you trust Him, this is why I'm telling you, the fruit of trusting God is an inward knowing in your heart. When you step out there, when you trust Him, when you begin to do things that don't make sense, seem right or feel safe, but it's in God's Word, and so we're going to trust God, and we're going to do it God's way instead of what seems right to us in the moment. Living your life that way will lead you through experiences. Remember, learning about trusting God and trusting God are not the same things. Trusting is something you do. And so when you begin to do trust, when you begin to trust God, this trusting Him will lead you through experiences that will open doors of knowing and understanding, seeing in your heart that cannot be opened any other way. This is why He can only take you as far as your trust in Him will allow. See, we've been, we've been trying to believe God without seeing. We've been trying to believe God without knowing. And we've tried to substitute what we see with our physical eyes. And those two things, it's like trying to mix oil and water. They're not from the same universe. They're not from the same realm. One is analog, one is digital. One is, one is physical, natural, one is, is spiritual and heavenly. One more time. The fruit of trusting God is an inward knowing. Bold confidence comes from proven trust. The stronger our trust in God, the greater our boldness. Now, let's talk about that for a moment. Because when it comes to living a victorious life, 
we've got to have some boldness. We've got to have confidence. You cannot live a victorious life without confidence. And it's true in any time and age, but in the day and age in which we live, it's got to have some boldness to go along with it. Let me show you just a couple of verses that we'll link together. Proverbs 28 and 1. The wicked flee when no one pursues. But the righteous are bold as a lion. All right? James 5 and 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The Amplified Version goes something like this. Makes the dynamic power of God available in its working. See, when we understand the righteousness that we've been made, when we understand and trust... See, the, 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 problem, with, the problem with thinking that your righteousness is based upon your behavior, based upon your performance, then that means your righteousness can, can change based upon how good you've done this week. In other words, if, if you've been really good this week and haven't sinned this week or haven't committed a lot of wrong stuff this week or not as bad as other people have in, in, your, in your world, you know, then, then you, you have this idea that you know, you're really doing good, you're really confident and bold. But if you've really struggled this week, now, well, see, we, just all bets are off. This, this is why our trust in our righteousness should not be in our own behavior. I'm not telling you to go live however you want to live. I'm not telling you to go commit sin and do wrong. That's absolutely not what I'm talking about here. But we need to recognize that we are right with God in the eyes of God, not because of our good behavior or our bad behavior. We are right with God in the eyes of God. We are righteous men and women because of the gift that Jesus has given to us and because He has made us right with God because of the sacrifice that He made taking our sin upon Himself. He who knew no sin became sin for you so that you might become the righteousness of God in him. I am right with God this morning, not because I've been good this week and I, or because I've been bad this week. I'm right with God this morning because my trust is in Jesus, my Savior, who has made me right with him. And the more aware I am, the more conscious I am of my righteousness, the, the, the more bold I am. Notice, if, if my trust is in my ability to keep myself right, then my confidence in my righteousness is going to go up and down with my behavior. Malachi 3.10 He says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove me now herewith, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, and he shall not destroy the fruit of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. There's a lot we can talk about here, but the key thing I'm, I'm wanting to point out, at least this time visiting this verse, is when God says, and prove me now herewith. Prove me now herewith. What is he saying? 
He's saying, trust me and let your trust in me produce the fruit of an inward knowing, the fruit of bold confidence in your life where the tithe is concerned. Father doesn't just want you to... I may be way oversimplifying this for some folks, but let me just say it this way. For Father God, it's not about your money. It's about your trust. It's about you being able to trust Him. Are you hearing me this morning? It's, he sits on a golden throne. He, he, he paves... In other words, it's not like, well, you know, if we don't get a little money up in heaven, we're going to have to turn out some of the lights or something. It's, that it's, he, it's, it's not about the money for him. It's about you learning to trust him. And the only way tithing will ever be proven to you is if, if you trust him. One more time, the fruit of trusting God is an inward knowing. Bold confidence comes from proven trust. So this is why God says, tithe and prove me in this. You find a man or a woman that tithing has become proven to. In other words, they have trusted God with the tithe long enough for it to be proven to them, for it to produce a bold confidence in them where it's concerned, and you will never, as long as they live, talk them out of tithing. It's because they see something and know something that can only be seen and known by going through the, the, the experiential doorways of doing. You're quiet on me this morning. Are you still with me? So, here's the point. Trusting in God moves the promises of God from theories in your head to proven foundations in your heart. Trusting in God moves the promises of God from theories in your head to proven foundations in your heart. Far too much of what we know about God is only theory. How does it go from theory to something proven to you? Trusting in Him. What is trusting in Him? It's not learning about trusting in Him. Trusting in Him, how do you learn to trust in Him? By trusting Him. By doing it. Turn with me now to John the 6th chapter. John chapter 6. Praise God. John chapter 6. And we'll look at verse number 5 and 6. John chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Now, there are a lot of people who try to say that Jesus, you know, just basically was a homeless beggar, wandering around with nothing. They don't understand the, the context of the verses, the foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus had a home. Read the Bible carefully. He invited some of the early disciples to his house. The Bible says that he became poor so that you could become rich. In order to become poor, you have to start out rich. Okay? Notice Jesus does not say, 
where would we get the money to buy bread? He says, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? The disciples didn't say, we don't have enough money to feed all these people. The impossibility was not that they didn't have the money to buy the food. It was that there was nowhere of readily available that they could go that would have that much food to buy to feed that many people. Are you seeing this? Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said, you see that word test there? That's a very important word. But this he said to test him, for he himself knew, see that word knew there? (laughs) It's a very important word. Jesus knew what he would do. See, his trust in the Father had enabled him to see and know what he was going to do and how it was going to turn out before any of this started. This is that bold confidence that you can have, that I can have, but we can only get there one way. It's by trusting God. So Jesus already knew. He already uh, saw what was happening here. But he asked these questions not because Jesus was looking for an answer, not because Jesus was confused, not because Jesus was, was, was looking for you know, somebody to, to give him some options to choose from. Jesus already knew exactly what he was going to do. So why did he ask the question? He asked the question to test him. The King James Version, it says to prove him. The word here in the original language is the word parazo. It's the word that we get our English word empirical from. And and the word empirical stands in contrast to the word theory. If something is theory, it it means that it's a supposition, it's an idea, it's a thought that's grouped together based upon certain facts. But if something is empirical, it's something that has been proven beyond a shadow of a doubt, right? It's been proven through practice and observation, So when the Bible says Jesus asked him this to perazzo him, it's that Jesus was was trying to lead the disciples into an experience that would open up a level of knowing and understanding in their hearts that could not be opened up any other way. He didn't say, sit down boys and watch this. He wanted them to participate in this miracle. He wanted them to experience it. Do you realize when Jesus took the little boy's lunch and divided it up 12 ways, he divided that little boy's lunch up into 12 portions. He gave the 12 portions to the disciples and he told them to now go feed the multitudes. The miracle took place in the disciples' hands. And it required some level of trust on their part to wade out into a crowd of many thousands with not enough food to even fill their belly, much less the belly of of one person that they're fixing to go give some food to. And so they go to the first man and they hand him, I don't know if they, we don't have all the details on this. I'm just putting myself in their place with the imagination God gave me. And I'm thinking, well, you know, should I give him half of what's in my hand? So I, I pull at least a piece of that bread off. And, and give it to the first person. And then I look down. I'm, well, I got enough for the next person. I got enough for the next person. 
Well, maybe I'll give them a little more <laughs> than the next person. That happened thousands of times. What is, what, is he, what is he doing here? He's trying to prove something to them. He's trying to prove something. That's really, I say prove it to them. Thank you, Holy Spirit. He's trying to prove it in them. He's wanting, he's wanting them to see it in a way they've never seen it before and know something in a way that they've never known it before. And so this is why we see this mentioned because there's going to be another multitude that Jesus is going to ask them to feed and they're going to look at him like a calf looking at a new gate, like they have no idea what he's talking about. And then they're going to get in a boat and Jesus is going to try to use that, that quiet time in a boat away from the multitudes to do some fundamental teaching to, to his inner circle. And he uses the concept of leaven as being a contaminant. And when they mention leaven, they start thinking food, what's for lunch, and they realize that nobody remembered to pack a lunch, and now they're in a boat going across with no food. And Jesus is like, where is your faith? How many basketfuls did you take up? How many large basketfuls did you take up the next time? Why do you keep reasoning in your heart and coming up with lack? See, they kept defaulting to what made sense, what seemed right, what felt safe. And having a sack full of sandwiches felt safer to them than trusting God for their next meal. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let me, um, let me finish. <clears throat> Let's talk for just a minute about this little shepherd boy named David. If you remember, his older brothers had all went with King Saul to fight the Philistines. But because David was too young to fight in the army, he had stayed behind. And his dad wanted to know how the battle was going, and they didn't have, you know, Fox News in those days, and all this other stuff, and so he sent his son, I forget, snacks, and I, I know there's some cheese and stuff that literally sent cheese, and um, to, with David to go to the battle to find out, you know, how things were going. Well, when David, you know, pulls up in his chariot there, I don't know if he's in a chariot on foot or what, but when he gets there, the, the entire army of Israel is hiding in holes in the ground, and there's a giant from the Philistines down in the valley cursing God, cursing the, the soldiers, um, mocking and challenging. And so David is like, who, who, who does he think he is? Now, the rest of the army, right? Because what's the challenge? The challenge is there's no need for a bunch of people to die today. We'll send our best warrior down. You send your best warrior down. We'll let them fight it out. And whoever wins, that'll, that'll be the battle. 
that, that, there's no need for all of us to fight. Except for none of God's people wanted to go fight the giant. So David pulls up and he's like, what, why, what is this? And of course his brothers are like, who's, you know, they're discouraging him. Who's taking care of those few little sheep, you know, you little runt, what are you here? You know, it's their attitude, right? And David is like, what, why are you fussing at me? Is there not a cause? Now, what's he saying? He said, is there not something here that needs to be taken care of? Is there not an issue that needs to be resolved? Is there not a problem that needs to be solved? Is, 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 is there not a, a, a pressing matter at hand that we need to quit looking the other way and do something about it? David says, I, I'll go take care of him. If none of y'all will, I'll go do it. And so Saul probably had the finest set of armor that money could buy in those days. He, he's going to give David his armor. And David said this, are you ready? He said, thank you, but no thank you. I don't have any confidence. See? See, I, I don't have any confidence in the armor. Somebody might say, well, he has confidence in a slingshot. No. He has confidence in God. Why did he have confidence in God? He has confidence in God because he's already trusted God when the bear came to take his daddy's sheep. And God delivered the bear into his hand. He's already trusted God when the lion came to take the sheep and God delivered the lion into his hand. So now when David comes on the scene, having already had experience trusting God, he's now seeing things in a different light than all the other members of the uh, Israeli army. See, his trusting God has brought him, produced the fruit of an inward knowing in him. As a kid in Sunday school, I'd hear this story and I'll think, how in the world did David ever overcome his fear and have enough courage to go fight that giant? My friend, there was no fear. David was not afraid. Now see, some of us, we, we go, I just, I don't know about that, Pastor Mark. Surely he had to be afraid. See, again, you're trying to understand it without seeing and knowing what he saw and knew. But you can see what he saw and knew. If, because what's the, how do you get that kind of seeing and knowing in your life? Trusting God. It's the fruit of trusting God. This, this little boy had trusted God. Now notice the world is trying to get him to put his confidence in something that he doesn't know anything about. But it only makes sense if you're going to go fight a giant, you need the best armor money can buy. But he's not going to trust in that. He has no confidence in that, meaning he has no experience in that. That doesn't mean God's opposed to armor. It doesn't mean God's opposed to a slingshot either. But again, David's trust was not in the slingshot. The slingshot was a tool in his hand. His trust was in God. David didn't compare himself to Goliath like every other member of the Israeli army did. David compared Goliath to his God. David looked very small compared to Goliath, but Goliath looked very small compared to his God. Okay, stand with me, praise God. What is the fruit 
What is the fruit of trusting in God? It's inward knowing. I'm just, amen, I'm doing what I'm doing this morning in faith. I'm doing what I'm doing this morning trusting God. And I apologize. I apologize for like, are you getting this? Do you know this? Are you with me? Are you still here? Amen. But I'm just, I'm trying to give you something this morning. Amen. And I want to make sure you're receiving it. I sometimes say it this way in the, in the, in the, when I'm teaching the foundry. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Because I'm putting some stuff down here for you. Amen. Are you seeing how all this is coming together? And my friend, do you see why the devil never wants you to trust God? Do you see why the devil never wants you to trust God? When your trust in God is weak, your confidence, again, is weak, your prayers are weak, your confessions are timid, your, your giving's reluctant, you're, you're, you're living in fear, and you're just a sitting duck for the devil. But when you start stepping out there and you start actually trusting him, and you begin to see things in a way that you've never seen them before, and know things in a way that you've never known them before. That's why the Apostle Paul wasn't moved by everything he went through. See, one of the first things, when, when something wrong happens in your life, something that is clearly not the will of God happens in your life, first thing the devil tries to jump on there, God let you down, God disappointed you, God this, God that. See, the devil is constantly, that's, not only does he not want you to put your trust in God, he wants you to deceive yourself into thinking that you have put your trust in God so that when it all comes crashing down around you, he can get you to blame God. But remember, what can he keep for you? He can only keep what you commit to him. He can only keep what you've deposited a trust in him concerning. We want him to do things in our life we haven't given him place to do. Father, as we stand before you this morning, we, first of all, ask you to forgive us for dishonoring you by choosing not to trust you. We ask you, Father, to forgive us For living our lives based upon what makes sense in the moment while turning our back on your timeless, eternally living and powerful word. And we ask you, Father, to prompt us by the inward working of your Holy Spirit each and every time we're faced with a situation to either trust in you with our heart or trust in ourselves with our brain. That these lines would become very clear for us by the Holy Spirit. We know that our enemy, Father, loves to blur these lines. But I thank you, Father, that the light of your word concerning these things is making these choices crystal clear for us once again. Father, plant it deep within our hearts this morning that it honors you when we trust you. Our choice to trust you honors you like nothing else can. We ask you once again to help us and to teach us how to do it more 
and how to do it better. Father, my desire for every person listening to me right now is that we have that same kind of inward seeing and knowing that Abraham had, that Moses had, that the Apostle Paul had, and Jesus that you had and have. That we would know as if we're looking with our physical eyes at the one in whom we have believed and we are persuaded. No question, Father, that you take care of whatever it is we trust you with in our lives. Father, this morning I pray for mothers and fathers who are struggling to trust you with their children. Such a ploy from the enemy, Lord, trying to take advantage of the beautiful heart of a mother for her, for her son or daughter. And yet, Father, we get in your way so many times by our enabling and codependency. Help us, Lord, to trust you, to trust you, to commit them in a deposit of trust into your care. Ministering spirits sent forth to minister for the heirs of salvation, Father. I ask that you surround wayward sons and daughters this morning with those ministering spirits. Bring people across their paths, Father, that they'll listen to. We ask, Father, that by the Holy Spirit of God they would have one of those prodigal moments where they come to themselves and realize that this is not the life you created them to live and that there's better for them in your house. Father, we pray this morning for that one who's struggling in the area of their finances. Father, teach us to trust you. Teach us to trust you in the areas of our provision. Father, I thank you for what you're preparing us for. This is training for the days ahead. Days, Father, that your word speaks of. Feel such an urgency, Father, that we learn to trust you and trust you more. I thank you for helping us do it. I thank you for bringing it to our attention. Now, Father, as we go our separate ways, let everything we put our hands to prosper for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Praise God. Tell somebody around you good things coming. Thank you for being